Welcome to the Rhythm Changes Podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in New Westminster run by Anthony Santorini. At the studio, he does album EP and single recording, mixing, filming of live session videos, and full production services where you can take your song ideas from the earliest stages all the way to completion. The recordings that he makes stand up to the best of the best to studio and his services, have affordable rates and excellent value, and when I record with Anthony, he gives me the space I need to feel good, craft my story as an artist, and not sweat the details. He has great ears. He is a drummer. He knows how to get sounds out of everything that you want to bring into that studio. I've recorded live off the floor and I've tracked things there. I've put out a lot of music that he's recorded that's done really well. If you want to record with Anthony at 12th Street Sound in 2022, go to 12thstreet.ca slash booking. And when you fill out the form, tell him that the RCP sent you. That's the Rhythm Changes podcast. Go to 12thstreet.ca slash booking to inquire with Anthony today about recording or mixing your music in 2022 and tell him that the RCP sent you. This episode is sponsored by Railtown Mastering, an audio mastering studio in the heart of Vancouver led by Andrew Downton. Now, what is mastering if you're not familiar? Mastering is the final step in post-production of your recordings where you finish the music that you've already tracked and mixed. And Andrew is my favorite mastering engineer to work with, and he's my recommendation for you to finish your recordings in 2022. He's mastered a lot of stuff that I've put out me and my friends trust that when we send him our mixes, he always makes them sound better and sorts out a lot of the details. He's one of those people who you want to know because he can turn something around for you really fast and something that sounds great. So if you want to learn more about what he does, you can visit his website or find him on social media at railtownmastering.com. And to inquire with Andrew about getting your music mastered in 2022, email andrew at railtownmastering.com. That's Andrew at RailtownMastering.com or check out Railtown Mastering to learn more today. I really, really push on the process of it being in theater, where it was like always prioritizing the process over the product, which I think is a stark difference from this kind of commercially poppy side of the music that I'm making. It's so focused on the product. And so I really wanted to take that process mindset and implement that. Happy Wednesday and coming at you from New Westminster, BC, it's the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. I bring you my favorite kind of conversations that I have in the working world of music on this show, where I can just hang with an artist, get to know what they're all about and share them with you. Today, I have a guest who works in both music and theater and is working on an album that shows what she thinks about both those creative fields. That's up next. Our guest today is an actor and musician who released a single from her album of the same name, New Age Attitudes, on April 22nd, 2022. You can find her on Bandcamp, Instagram, and Facebook under her own name, stream her music anywhere, and visit her website, amandasum.com. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Amanda Sum. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, and I really enjoy your sound. It's a very interesting mix of stuff, you know? Thank you. Yeah. You've got a great band. You've played a couple of Jazz Fest gigs. I almost want to start there because mm. the 2021 Vancouver Jazz Festival, there being no 2020 festival and then stuff happening last summer. I tried to follow as much of it as I could, but there was a lot going on, some of it in person and some online. 
Can you talk about some of the stuff that you've done at the festival? Yeah, that was actually, that was my first time. So just a one time. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, which was really exciting, I think, because I only launched music projects of mine in 2020. So kind of everything that I've done, music related, recording related, has been informed by the pandemic. (laughs) So that was kind of my first live gig with a band. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) And, And it was, it was like, it was outside. There were about 50 people. That was still in that time where it was, the capacity limits were small and then live streamed as well. But yeah, it felt really special for me because I think I'm kind of, I have a bit of trouble defining genre within the work that I'm doing, whether in theater or in music. So it felt kind of, it was kind of affirming for me to know that I could kind of, you know, blend into a bit of jazziness and then kind of move out into kind of folk or move into kind of more commercially pop things and that it can kind of be malleable and they can live at the jazz fest too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so you were on one of those Granville Island stages. I went there and I saw mm-hmm. Thad Bailey Mine, Chris Fraser, oh, and a bunch yeah, of other yeah. stuff on that probably same place, right? Yeah, same place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was your gig during the peak of the heat wave? Yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. It was. And I was a bit, well, I my mom makes um, <laughs> makes our stage costumes and made these oh, yeah. pink blazers that Jamie and I, Jamie Lee, who plays drums, um, we did a duo show online in 2020. So my mom made us these pink blazers. And then for Jazz Fest, I had Ginger Chen play bass and Jamie. And then my mom made me a pink blouse and I gave the blazers to Jamie and Ginger. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh man, I'm so sorry that the, like to put you in this in 30, I don't even know how hot it was. But yeah, it was hot. <laughs> I oh, had yeah. maybe four things of of liquids to supplement the sweat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, fortunately, the ones that I went to, they weren't quite at that peak weekend. But I'll never forget, I was talking to another upcoming guest on the Rhythm Changes podcast here. My episode with Marina Hasselberg, who is a cello player. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget mm-hmm. that I recorded that one during that peak weekend. And while I was sitting here in my home office, I had my feet in an ice bath the entire time I was recording oh, the episode. That's smart, though. <gasps> that's smart. Well, you can't really do ice baths on stage, though, I guess. <laughs> well, hey, maybe if, if you maybe if you start it, we can make idea. this a trend, you know. <laughs> I think so. It, it would just be logistical, like how to not get the wires all, you know, there could be some danger in there, but we could live on yeah. the edge a bit. I guess I was thinking because of Jamie being in your band, right? I was thinking of that Mm -hmm. other concert that you just mentioned where you first had the custom outfits done. You did some kind of live stream performance that was sponsored by Rogers, right, with Jamie. Maybe that's what I was thinking of when I was thinking of multiple Jazz Fest things. You also did that, you said, back in 2020. Yeah, yeah. that was kind of the first. I had a bunch of songs. And at that point, I had recorded Group Think, Mary Shelley, and Hot-Headed Egos, and all these new songs that most of them are on the album. That first Rogers Side Door online concert with Jamie was kind of the first time that I was playing any of those. So that was quite informative for working 
through structures of songs and presenting them for the first time. Yeah, but you had a theater background before that, so you're definitely an experienced mm-hmm. performer and you're familiar with the stage world and the moving parts that need to come together to make something like this happen. So what did being in the theater world first before you started putting out some singles and doing more of your own music in 2020 and onward, what did it teach you mm. about being a musician now? Ooh, well, I was in theater school at SFU, which the program there is kind of more tailored towards experimental works and devised theaters and creating your own theater work as opposed to like acting, say, right. or acting in plays. So in that sense, that was really informative on, it heavily relied on collaboration. And so within that, in the theater shows that I found myself working on, I would often be contributing some sort of musical element to it, whether it was like a short little composition or I I don't even know what else, (laughs) but they kind of was like, oh, there's this meld between the disciplines and there's not like a, a strict harsh line between two artistic disciplines. So in bringing that towards music projects, it was nice to like, I take a lot of theater practices into that in that like I really really push on the process of it I learned that from being in theater where it was like always prioritizing the process over the product which I think is a stark difference from this kind of commercially this commercial (laughs) industry of the kind of more poppy realm side of the music that I'm making it's so focused on the product And so I really wanted to take that process-based mindset and implement that onto my music practice. I have a feeling that that could be kind of frustrating. And I imagine your bandmates probably really appreciate that you're coming from this perspective of emphasizing the process over the product. I imagine that makes it for a much more friendly environment for the people that you work with on your own stuff, you know? I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I mean, there is like a bit of, The difference in theater and music is that theater, everything is live and it lives in that moment on the stage and you do it. And if you, you know, mess up, you get out of it, you move through it and it's live and that's the excitement of it. And so learning about like digitizing something in music was like quite frightening to me that something would live (laughs) in a digital form and like that's it so I had to wrap my mind around being like oh it doesn't have to if there's a cool little (laughs) mistake or something that happens in the recording like like that kind of gives it the character yeah I I don't strive for something to sound perfectly clean because I think in theater nothing's gonna be perfectly clean yeah (laughs) yeah It's much more of a pure performer's mindset as opposed to going into the studio and the production in an isolated kind of room, right? You're really thinking from the view of a performance. But even still, too, learning that process of tracking something multiple times and then picking the best ones, like that was so interesting to me because I had never had that option, like options of picking, oh, what was the best time that I said that one thing? Like I'd never... I've never had that before. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of cool too. 
and daunting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have an awesome band that you've brought together. We've already mentioned Jamie, and Jamie's absolutely a friend of the podcast. Who else is in your band that you want to shout out here? And what can you say about the great band you've pulled together? Uh, okay, well, the band on the album, it's a seven-piece all-Asian girl band, which is just my dream come true. <laughs> so we've got Jamie Lee on drums, Mary Anchetta plays synth bass and some synths, other synth stuff and um, piano on one of the tracks. Ginger Chen plays electric bass. Viola Sabine playing trumpet. Cindy Kao on violin. And Shin Jung Nam on cello. And then I'm playing uh, guitars, keys, and some synths too. And then did you all get in the room at the same time or has this been pieced together over multiple sessions or both? How's the production been? We tracked most of it live with the main either keys or guitar parts, drums and the bass part. So we, I think at most three of us tracking together and then tracked vocals separately and then did horns and strings separately. It was really nice to play the beds live together because it felt like we could feed off each other in the room. And then you're going to release this album during this year, 2022, but you've got the title track mm -hmm. out right now while you're talking. Mm -hmm. So yeah. somebody's listening to this episode before the rest of the album comes out, they've got that track to go on. Maybe you'll be releasing other singles too, but yeah. does it all sound this kind of big reverberant atmosphere? Are there a bunch of other sounds? What does this title track say about the rest of the album? Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked about this one. Like I knew that the album was going to be named after this track. Thematically, this track sets this little umbrella for everything to fall under. And then in tone wise, there is a lot of things like that. And then there's also a bit of really stripped down folky stuff. There's more R&B inclined songs. And then there's more like for references, we pulled some Carol King and Bill Withers, like a bit more homey live, I guess. In terms of like musically written things, I think there's this kind of sets the tone in that there's like a lot of jazzy bits in the album and a lot of kind of like odd time signatures and then a lot of kind of questioning, like lyrically questioning identity and what it is to live in this day and age right now. I view it as this like similar to the very, very first um, single that I put out, Group Think. This album kind of is a follow-up to that in that it's trying to not victimize or empower, but just trying to normalize this everyday experience of a young Asian woman. Within that, like that was the reason why it was really important to me to bring these bandmates this idea of identity and new age attitudes kind of does that in a very distant and generalized way, setting the tone as a, as an umbrella. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about theater then, because you've been doing professional theater projects for like the last five plus years, right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I had one of my longtime friends, Andy Lloyd from the theater world on the Rhythm Changes podcast. Oh, yeah. Do you know each other? Yeah. yeah. 
Cool, cool. I thought so. Yeah, because I know that you would have both referenced probably have a lot of mutual friends too from that SFU program. Like maybe mm-hmm. Howard Dye is another person I've known yes. for a long time that yeah. you might have worked with. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Howard and I work to get, we're working together very soon again. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. And I know that you both referenced rice and beans theater separately on mm-hmm. different projects that you might have done with that group too. That sounded like an interesting mm-hmm. group as well. Those rice and beans friends are came out of the SFU program too. Yeah. So that yeah. You did an interview with Stir Vancouver and they asked you about how you balance the work of doing both theater mm. and music at the same time. And when they published their article featuring you, this is what you said back at the time in that article or at least it's what, what they said you said. I go through spurts of which one is more intuitive. It often feels like a grass is greener situation. If I'm head deep in a theater project, I feel like I'm neglecting my music and vice versa, trying to find that balance. Where are you at on that right now? Uh, that feels, I'm still there, girl. <laughs> still there, 2021, Amanda. Yeah. yeah, right now, right now I'm kind of in music mode, just as album things roll out and filming music videos and I have some theater projects lined up come May. So even that, like thinking towards in my head, I'm like, well, how do if I'm releasing the album in September, how do I hold that while being focused on something like it's I think it's going to be a never ending (laughs) um, predicament, which is a predicament that I'm very lucky to have. I mean, the reason that I that I kind of started focusing a bit more on music nearing the end of my theater degree was because I knew that the work that I wanted to make was sat somewhere between music and theater, but not being conventionally what we think of musical theater. I want to be making these kind of hybrid pieces and I wanted to put more time into my music so that eventually I could bridge the two. So right now I'm I'm working with theater replacement as their artist in residence on my show, which is a pop up book version of my album. So it's a book in performance. So it is kind of this like theater music hybrid, which is exactly the thing that I want to be making. So I feel really lucky that I have some support to be able to make that, but. Again, I wouldn't be able to have made that had I not chosen to start focusing on music too. So I'm kind of like focusing on theater, focusing on music, and then focusing on what that marriage is. Nice. Can you talk a little bit more about what it is about musical theater that you were saying and what people traditionally think of it? What in particular about that are you looking to challenge with what you do? I think I have a bit of an aversion to this idea of entertaining (laughs) and I think you know westernized musical theater I think of like jazz hands and cheesy smiles and that's kind of you know that's fun but I'm when I go to a theater piece I want to leave knowing something different or I want to leave with a bigger question of like why is this important right now as opposed to leaving being like ah that was fun. And yeah, I mean, that's on its own thing. And I 
admittedly love that kind of thing too. <laughs> and I dabble in that too. <laughs> I definitely <Yeah. laughs> have done some flashy things that I'm like, okay, so, you know, sometimes you got to take a job. Um, but yeah, I think with creating theater, there's always this question of like, what is the scream of this piece right now? And what is it asking of the world <laughs> and what is why is it important to do this right now and I like to take that question and put it towards music to say everyone's churning out music and not to say mine is any more important than anyone else's but I want to always be questioning why is it important to put this out right now and what is it saying and what is it doing and so for me I can't just like put out a cute pop song I need to like really interrogate each song and say like why does this matter and then to back that I'm like okay it's like lyrically this is what it's saying but then also what is it doing in that I'm giving space and employing other under or misrepresented artists and that's feeding that and that's really like to me that feels important um, and kind of challenging the ideal setup of <laughs> of what I had seen painted for musicians. Yeah. So yeah, I think with like music and with theater, it's all it, to me. It's like let's gently challenge to make it to make it matter. Yeah. Yeah. So you made this album, New Age Attitudes, under the purview of Canada Council Concept to Realization, right? That's what you're using the grant for. Yeah, that and um, the Creative BC career development. Nice. And I'm sure you're talking about a lot of what you just said in those grant applications. When I'm looking at other grants you've done, you talked about starting music into 2020. Looks like you kind of did what I did. I also applied for the Factor Artist Development Grant, the smallest one available mm -hmm. there and the one that's most open to new applicants who haven't gotten Factor grants before. And I started using that in 2020 as I released my own music for the first time. That sounds like something you did as well. Yeah, that I did for those first three singles that that came out. Groupthink, Hot-Headed Egos, and Mary yeah. Shelley were on the Factor Artist Development as well as the Creative BC demo program. Yeah. And then you also have Cops as a song, and that one to me sounds very much like New Age Attitudes in its arrangement style, more so than the original three singles, where those first three singles, you talked about how sometimes you have the arrangements more stripped down when we were talking about what else is on the album. Those first three singles are very stripped down in comparison to the sound that you're deploying now with so much more going on. And in Cops, when mm. you have all those like beautiful background harmonies and stuff, it almost sounds like... Uh, Emily Best, who just came on the show a couple of weeks ago oh, with her yeah. new album. She's got a her. lot of those great kind of rich vocals as well. And you had that on that single. And so that was one that stood out to me as maybe the beginning of a new concept or era for you, you know? Cool. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it like that the, because Cops. So all these other ones in the album, I made the arrangements. And then for Cops, um, Mary and Chetta and... Jane Aurora made the arrangement for that. Oh, cool. And I just did, I made the guitar part and the vocal arrangement and the background vocals, but they kind of filled it out, which was really cool for me too, to experience like, here's the bass structure of it. And then they filled it out. That was like really exciting and kind of scary and different for me because I think with my 
other tracks I was very like okay this is what I'm hearing and I get to like I'll chart out this trumpet part and like very I knew what I wanted to hear whereas with cops I kind of like here is this guitar part and here's some backup vocals and I don't really know how it's gonna sound but so they made that so that was yeah it was a cool other way of making making things well it's particularly yeah. cool because you can still arrive at something that makes sense with your other recordings you know even though you yeah. delegated some of that to the people who are collaborating with you it still ended up sounding like you yeah that's so yeah and too like it's really cool from how tedious the process of pulling references is is so beneficial because then it never if I'm pulling similar references it never strays like I can hand a song to to other producers and they can if I'm like if I give them references they'll still make it sound like something that I would make and sound like me yeah you're talking about pulling references before you've recorded anything or like when you're doing the post-production before I've recorded oh, cool. anything. Yeah. Yeah. So with Olivia Kwan, who engineered and mixed the record and the first three singles, the non-cops ones, she asked for references just to, she's so great. And I love that she both engineered and mixed it because then we could just land on basically setting up her studio. She was already mixing it in her brain because she was setting up to engineer it but then because we had pulled references and she knew what she was going to do later she could set things up that's really cool and she's become such a great friend to me and she had asked for some references and a lot of those same ones we use for the album too yeah nice i haven't seen olivia in several years but she did record the vancouver tracks on my former band's first album unrelated by oh. early spirit at monarch in uh, april 2018 we recorded four of the 10 tracks i believe from the album at monarch then we went to we did the rest of the tracks in quebec but olivia was engineering that session for us at monarch and it was great oh, she's so great i love her a lot yeah yeah when i hear all this talk these great ideas you have about what to bring from theater into music to make it meaningful and how to merge the two things together I haven't explored whether or not you've done this yet, but do you have any ambitions in the near future to create original works in theater? Like, would you write plays or would you write and produce theatrical performances as well in addition to doing your own music or as part of finding the right balance? Okay, I'm going to be a music artist and then I'm also going to work in theater. Do you also want to write plays and make theater productions? Um, I don't, I'm not like a huge writer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the show that I am making with theater replacement is like that hybrid kind of music theater show. So that, like, that's kind of, if I am self-producing, I'm kind of going in that direction, but otherwise, yeah, I'm like, I like working in theater as, as an actor here and there. And then I also like being just in the room, building, building a show that isn't necessarily my own project I feel like with the music things and with the hybrid pop-up book show I feel like I'm at the helm of it and I have a lot of agency in the direction of where it goes and I like also having the balance of being a support on someone else's project and them being the lead and the director 
I don't want to have control over everything. <laughs> that feels like a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah. But who's to say, like, if there's a moment where I'm, like, not writing music for a while, then maybe I would dabble in something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you would produce something just as interesting in that area, too, if you had the need to make some creative space for yourself and try something new. That would be really interesting. But you have a lot of great <laughs> ideas, Amanda. Your music sounds awesome. I'm really looking forward to the release of your first album. you got a great crew around you. It's really nice to pop on and meet you here. And thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun to chat. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what we do here, I invite you to sign up to the free weekly article that I write. This week, I wrote about Frankie's After Dark, presented by the Infidels Jazz, Tim Reinert, Corey Weeds, and Frankie's Jazz Club. I talked to as many artists who are performing in this new series as I could. That's available now. And if you want to sign up for future editions of the free weekly article, you can do that on our homepage, rhythmchanges.ca.